Welcome to First Baptist Wiley. We're excited to bring you these weekly messages. Find out more about us or give online at fbw.church. Hey, faith family and friends, it's Pastor Chris. And I want to just say wherever you are, maybe you're on one of our live campus expressions of worship, or perhaps you're gathered with your family around your television, your computer screen. Maybe you're on vacation, you're watching this wherever you may be, and you're a dad. I want to say happy Father's Day. You know, it's amazing. We go to church for Mother's Day. We always praise moms and talk about just how great moms are. Uh, but yet with dads, it seems like most years that the, the message from pastors is it kind of beats up dads. And I don't want to beat up dads today. I want to celebrate dads. I want to say thank you. You know, Father's Day is one of the least attended days in all the church calendar uh, for attendance in most churches. And so if you're participating today, whatever form that takes on, I just want to say thank you. Keep it up, dads. You're doing a great job. We're in a message series entitled Filled. We're in our third and final week. We're talking about the Holy Spirit. If you have your Bible, I hope you'll go with me to Acts chapter 2. We're going to look at verses 1 through 13. And as you make your way there, I was thinking about some phrases this week that we use, and we don't really know where we got them. We don't really understand the origins of them. Like, here's one, uh, kick the bucket. We, you know, we say somebody's kicked the bucket. What we're saying is that they've died. Did you know that that came from a 17th century expression when people would try to commit suicide? They would literally hang a rope, put it around their neck, put a bucket beneath them, and they would kick the bucket out, and that's how they would kill themselves. I mean, it's kind of like, you know, morose, isn't it? Uh, here's another one, piece of cake. You ever heard that? Oh, it's a piece of cake. It comes from the 18th century, whenever cake was given out as a prize uh, for cakewalks. And so people said, a piece of cake. It's easy. Uh, here's one, a dime a dozen. You ever heard that? Dime a dozen. comes from the 18th century whenever things like eggs and apples could be bought, a, dime, a, a dozen of them for a dime. You know, now we kind of look at it like that's cheap. It's a dime a dozen. What about bite the bullet? You ever heard somebody say bite the bullet? Well, what that comes from is from the Civil War whenever a person was going through the, the painful process of amputation, they would literally take a bullet a lead bullet, they would put it in their mouth and they would bite on it just to deal with the pain. Or you've heard about break a leg. You know, an actor goes on stage and say, break a leg. I've always thought that was interesting. What, where'd that come from? Well, it actually comes from the Elizabethan era whenever people would cheer for actors on a stage. And so beyond clapping, they would stand up and they would take their chairs and they would literally shake the chairs and hit them on the ground until it broke a leg. So when you had a broken leg from the audience of the chair, that was a really great thing. But here's another one. Go with the flow. Have you ever heard of that? Go with the flow. You know, this comes from the Roman emperor. If you're familiar with the movie Gladiator, you're familiar with this guy, Marcus Aurelius. And he wrote this book entitled Meditations, and it was talking about life and happiness. And, and Aurelius believed this. He said, in his opinion, it was better to go with the flow than to try to change society. You know, it seems like we live in a culture that's really embraced that where we just kind of go along to get along. And I would push back from that today and give you one message point, and it's simply this. Go where the Spirit flows. Go where the Spirit flows. You know, as we've been in this study of the Holy Spirit, we understand that our lives, once we trust Christ, they, are, they should be filled with the Holy Spirit to the point of overflowing. And, and like last week, we talked about how, you know, you've got to catch the wave of where God is moving, where He's flowing. And so in this very first, this text we're going to look at here today, we, we see when the Holy Spirit invades humankind, 
after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So notice what it says. It says, When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there, was, there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And now there was a dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one of them was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? How is it that, that we hear each of us in his own native tongue, Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia and Judea and Capodia? Pontus and Asia, Phygria, Pamphylia, Egypt, and parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? And in verse 13, but others mock, saying, They are filled with new wine. You see, this event called Pentecost happened. 50 days after the Passover, uh, Jews from all over the world made it into Pente to Pentecost because this symbolized whenever God cut a covenant with the nation of Israel. And so you could just see in this city of Jerusalem that if God were going to constitute this new thing called the church, it would only make sense, it would only be fitting, he would do it in this place called Pentecost in Jerusalem. And, and I would just simply say this to you. Don't you realize that you and I have experienced the effect? That is what has changed and transformed us through the, the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ and His indwelling Holy Spirit. You see, I want to challenge you to go where the Spirit flows. See, I want you to go where the Spirit flows. I've got four takeaways. Here's the first one. Go where the Spirit flows and experience His transcendent power. Now, when you say transcendent power, what does that mean? Transcendence means this. It's beyond normal. It's exceptional. You know, the reality is this. We all long for something that is bigger than ourselves. That's why uh, movie theaters are filled with the themes of the transcendence, otherworldly. It's why when you look on television, you always see all these like paranormal and stories about UFOs and Bigfoot and all these people. Why? Because we long for something big. And it says right here, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. So we've already saw last week as we examined God's word in John chapter 3, where Jesus said that the Holy Spirit's like the wind. You don't know where it comes from, but you just see its effect. Well, they, they felt the effect. They, they, they experienced the Holy Spirit. And, and the, don't you realize that God sent the Spirit from outside of us to occupy residency in us because we needed someone bigger than ourselves to make our life work. Can I just tell you this? Mariah Carey lied, all right? There's a song that Mariah Carey sang a number of years ago called Hero. And here's how it starts. You, I, I promise you, if you listen to the radio at all, you've heard this song. It says, there's a hero when you look inside your heart. You don't have to be afraid Oh, what, what you are, there's an answer. If you reach inside your soul and the sorrow that you know will melt away. You know what? Mariah Carey was basically saying this. She was saying what culture says. You can fix all your problems. No, you can't. In fact, God knew you couldn't. 
In fact, the reason we have so much of the problems that we do in our culture today is because we live in a culture that thinks we can fix ourselves. No, we need transcendent power to make that happen. You know, I want to give you kind of, uh, because this is so important to where we live today. There's a shift going on in the religious culture of our day. If you'd have gone back through time, and we could go back to the time of the Romans and the Greeks, a time prior to uh, 300 A.D., uh, you would find this. If you're taking notes, write this down. You would see that culture was polytheistic, meaning this, that people believe in multiple gods. That's why in Rome and Greece they had these temples, and so if you needed to sacrifice to a certain god uh, for your business to prosper, that you might have children, whatever it may be. Whenever Constantine Christianized Rome in about 300, the world shifted away from polytheism to monotheism. And here's what happened. We saw the rise of three groups that have been dominant even to this day. One was Jews, one was Muslims, and the other was Christians. All these faiths agreed that there was one God. They may have disagreed on who it was, but they believed in one God. As a result of that, they also had some commonality in this. They, they have a, a belief in, in the same type of morality, um, that, you know, that marriage is for a man or a woman, and there were certain thing, things about murder that they all agreed on, that it was wrong. But we now find ourselves, and this is happening in contemporized American culture. We are finding the ushering in of a third phase, if you will, from polytheism to monotheism, to now atheism, a culture that completely rejects God. And, and you, you see this literally um, every single day when you turn on the television, when you experience life. You know, an atheistic culture really says four things. You ought to jot these down. One, that God's word isn't relative anymore. You know, our culture says that your problems are all on the outside of you and you are able to fix yourself. That the Bible says this about you, that you are dead in your sins, you are dead in your trespasses, that your righteousness is as filthy rags. The, the biblical, uh, the, the, the culture in an atheistic culture also says this, that the Bible limits moral freedom. And so, you know, don't be mad, but it's Pride Month. Don't be mad, by the way. Don't be upset about that, Christians. Putting snarky tweets out there doesn't, doesn't help anything. But the reality is this. Um, third phase religiosity, atheism, attacks the morality of second phase uh, religion, if you will. Because it says, hey, it's too narrow. And I should be able to do what I want. And love is love. Um, you know, all of our problems are economic. All of our problems are because of social injustices. But the Bible says this about real freedom. It says where the spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. In a culture like ours today, evangelism, where we share our faith with others, is considered intolerant. Intolerant. That, hey, why are you trying to change me? Whatever, don't you understand? Jesus said of himself, I came to seek and save that which is lost. You and I are commanded to go out and, and help people understand their need for God. They would see their brokenness and their sins. You know, our world today, why is the world so concerned about renewable energies and the ozone layer and saving the baby platypuses or whatever we're trying to save this week because the world believes that you this is the best you can do. This The world is in this physical form is the best you will ever achieve. And so we got we to gotta preserve the planet where you and I are told in the, in the scriptures that we're to store our treasures not here on the earth but in heaven. You say, why does this matter? Here's why this matters. Because we got a whole world of people that think the problem with the world 
has to do with everybody on the outside of them. That's why in the woke culture, the cancel culture has arisen. I was reading an article about counseling, how it's changed over the last, really, 25 years. One of the biggest ways it's changed is this. People used to go to therapists, psychologists, counselors, whatever, and they used to sit there and say, I need you to help me figure out what's wrong with me. But now people go to counselors, psychologists, the like, and they sit there and say, I need you to help me figure out how to cope with all those people out there that I got to deal with. There's a big difference in that. You know why? It's pretty hopeless. You're never going to change all those people out there. There's really only one person that can be changed, and it's you, and you're not going to do it in your own strength. It's going to be the power of the Holy Spirit living in you. That's why Zechariah 4, 6 says this. It's not by might. It's not by power. It is by my spirit, says the Lord. You see, there's this transcendent power that takes residency in you whenever you simply go where the spirit flows. See, go where the spirit flows. Notice the second takeaway. Go where the spirit flows and know his personal presence. Personal presence in your life. It says this, and divided tongues as fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak to, to another tongue as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, notice what happens here. It says that it appeared to them a tongue of fire above each one of them. This was the manifest presence of God. I want you to notice fire. The presence of God is always throughout Scripture represented through fire. In fact, in Exodus 3.5, Moses He's out in the desert. He runs across a bush. It's on fire. Exodus 3, 5, you've heard it. The bush, it's the voice of God, the audible voice of God. It says, do not come near. Take off your sandals of your feet. And the place which you are standing is holy ground. Um, later on, God puts himself with the, the presence of God, puts himself with the people of Israel. Exodus 13, 21, the Lord is going before them in a pillar of cloud by day to lead them on their way and a pillar of fire by night to give them light that they might travel by day and night. And then whenever they finally camp at Sinai, it says this in Exodus 19, 18, now Mount Sinai was all in smoke because the Lord descended upon it in fire and its smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace and the whole mountain quaked violently. You see, when God's manifest presence shows up, it looks like throughout the scripture, fire. And here's what I would say to you. Whenever the Holy Spirit takes residency in you, people ought to sense his presence in you. Because now, check this out, you are the tabernacle by which God's presence resides. His, his divine presence indwells you. And there ought to be an effect. You know, where there's smoke, there's fire, right? And, and so smoke is one of those things that gets in your clothes, doesn't it? You know, I grew up in a house full of uh, some folks that smoked. One of them was my grandfather. And I remember, forget, you know, he'd take me to school, and he'd have his morning cigarette. And I loved my granddaddy. He was the greatest man I ever knew. Loved Jesus. But, you know, I guess back in, like, the World War II generation, when you were, like, four years old, they taught you how to smoke. I don't know. Anyway, here's what I do know. He smokes Salem menthol cigarettes. Oh, my word. It was a nasty smell. I would get dropped off at school, and I promise you, people knew I had ridden in a car with a smoker all day. You know why? On the way to school. You know why? Because I smelled like smoke. I was smoky. Friend, don't you understand 
that whenever you find yourself in the presence of God has an outward effect. Like there ought to be times that you bump into other people and you can just sense they're believers. You just know they're believers. People ought to bump into you and realize something is different about you. Why? Because you've been in the manifest presence of God. He indwells you. How, how can something that awesome that takes residency in you not leak out? You see, it affects you outwardly, but it also affects you inwardly. You know, when Jesus was baptized, there was something that was pretty amazing that happened. In fact, in the book of Matthew, chapter 3, it says this. It says, Jesus was baptized. Immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove coming to rest on him. So Jesus was experiencing the Holy Spirit. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. When the Holy Spirit of God manifests in you, let me, let me give you one of the greatest assurances that you know the presence of God lives in you, is this, you sense His pleasure. You sense His pleasure. The Bible says this, that we are children of God. Romans eight sixteen. the Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. So just as the Spirit landed on Jesus and those words were said, this is my Son whom I am well pleased, don't you realize something? That when the Spirit of God takes occupancy in you, it's affirmation and a sign, what? That He is pleased with you. Now this, is a, this is, Father's Day has become a, a bittersweet time for me. Um, my dad went to be with Jesus, uh, I can't believe it, nearly four years ago now. This past week, I went to the cemetery where he's buried, and I just had to have a moment, just had to be there. You know, I understand he's not there. He's in heaven. He's with the Lord. But I just had to be there with my dad, just in, in, just in that spot for a moment, just reflect on his life. And I was taken back to some times in, in, my, in my life when my dad had a job where he had to travel a lot. And he would be away. For, he would sometimes, as a recruiter, he would be away on a Monday, and he wouldn't come back in until Friday. And so there would be this time of the week whenever I, 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 I was his son, but we were apart. But then he would always come home on Friday, and Dad always did two things. He always brought me a surprise when I was a little kid. And as soon as he saw me, he always picked me up and he hugged me in those big old arms of his. Why don't I tell you that story? Because I was my, I was my dad's son in both, both occasions. When he was apart from me, legally, yes, I was his son. Yes, we had relationship. But whenever I was in his hug, I was experientially his son. I was experiencing his manifest presence. And I want you to understand something. God put the Holy Spirit in you because he wants you to know something today. Dads, I'm talking to some of you. Moms, I'm talking to some of you. Friend, I'm talking to you. He delights in you. He, he paid an infinite price for you. He's never going to let you go. And so here's what that means. If he has gone to all that trouble so that you can feel that hug, you shouldn't have fear. You shouldn't have worry. Because I'm telling you something, daddy's going to take care of you. You see, you got to go with the Spirit's flow. You see, go with the Spirit's flow. So be gospel obsessed. You go, what do you mean by that? You see, as we go with the Spirit's flow, we understand this, 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 this power, transcendent power that lives in me. We understand this personal presence that dwells in me, but 
But here's what happens as well. We get obsessed with the gospel. The problem with the world today is not that we need more laws, we need more legislation, we need more education. The problem with the world today is that we need more gospel expression. It says right here in verse 4, And they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. In verse 5, it speaks that devout men from all over the world were at this event called Pentecost. And then it says that they were amazed and astonished. Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And then it goes in, it says, we're all hearing it in our native tongues. So the Parthians and the Medes and the Amalites and residents of Mesopotamia and Judea and Kaposia and Pontus and Asia, all these different people are mentioned here. Now, let me just kind of dispel something. Sometimes when particularly people of my, my bent of, the, of, of, of um, denomination hear tongues, they start freaking out. Right? They start thinking, oh, you're talking about crazy charismaticism. Oh, you're talking about the people down the street. No, I'm not talking about that. By the way, you know what? The, the table of the gospel is big enough that we can have lots of different cousins in the family, okay? But let me simply say this. This is not referring to that. When, when you look in the scriptures when it talks about a charismatic type tongue, it's always done in such a way that there has to be an interpreter. People don't understand it. This has to do with dialects. Dialects, there was these guys, these, these apostles were speaking the gospel in their native tongue. But here's what was amazing. It was like transcribed. These, these hearers could hear it in their own tongue. It was intelligible. And so it was about different dialects. And, and let me tell you why this is so amazing. Because what this proves is this, is that the gospel is for everyone. It went out to all peoples, it went out to all languages, it went out to all cultures. Like God orchestrated that. Think about that. God orchestrated it so that all of these people, whenever he's going to speak through the Holy Spirit, the gospel for the very first time at Pentecost, the entire world was represented there. That is only like our God. Think about this. Uh, that means this, that no one group has prominence over another. That means that the gospel is an American thing or an African thing or an Asian thing or a Latin thing. It's a humankind thing. You know, there are cultures have done some really great things. Like case in point, when you think about it, what country gave us spaghetti and meatballs, right? That's, that's Italy. I mean, right? I mean, I don't know about you. I love some great Italian food. Um, what about the taco? Man, I'm so grateful that my brethren from the South created the taco and its companion that should be used on everything maybe even including ice cream, queso. Oh, my goodness, aren't you grateful for those folks down in the South? What about the hibachi steak place, right? It was the Japanese that gave us the hibachi steak. I mean, if we didn't have that, we wouldn't be able to go and see that onion catch on fire, do like the little volcano. I mean, cultures do some really great things. What about the hamburger? Hey, the good old U.S. of A., right? We're the ones that brought about the hamburger. See, cultures do some really great things. But every culture is flawed. Every culture has its own deficiencies. But the gospel, think about that, the gospel it is the leveler of culture. So here's what that means. It means that the, the gospel creates diversity and it brings unity through that diversity. You understand, um, this isn't true of like Muslims. Muslims have the Quran, which the Quran uh, was was 
created only in the Arabic language. Therefore, Muslims believe that only the, the Quran, as it's translated in Arabic, is really the word of God. There's even, in other languages, there's even a little note in there that says, this is not really the word of God. But we believe that the language of God, the gospel, has been now, through the Bible, translated in all these different languages, and that is God's word, the same word spoken differently by the, with different words and languages into cultures. You see, the gospel redeems every culture. Every culture. You know, there are some cultures, obviously, that have some, some deficiencies. Like, for instance, there, throughout time, there's been cultures that believed in cannibalism. I don't know about you, I don't think cannibalism is probably a good idea. But do you realize the gospel can even redeem cultures that have sins like cannibalism? You know, it raises all cultures. It, it raises. You know, in India, they believe in the caste system where people, when they're born, they're basically kept in a feudal system where they can never escape that. When the gospel comes in, people begin to realize, I'm not a part of a caste system. I'm, I'm a son or daughter of a most high king. Uh, you realize it restores all cultures. See, it gives us a bigger perspective. And here's why. Don't miss this. This universal message is the hope of the world. And that's why, I'm just telling you, the only cure for the social injustices that we see in this world is going to be the gospel. You know, when I think about um, being gospel-obsessed and how it's the hope of the world, I have to think about my friend Joe Flora. Joe, Joe married my mom uh, just a couple few years ago and uh, after my dad departed. And I love Joe. Um, in some ways, he's like a bonus dad, I guess. And, but one of the things I know about Joe is this. Joe is, Joe is gospel-obsessed. I remember not long ago, we were at the, uh, at the Cheesecake Factory as a family. Well, we're kind of sitting there. It was a Friday night. It was really busy. Our family's kind of chatting it up. There's probably about eight, nine of us. All of a sudden, we look up, can't find Joe. And I look over, and, and I'm, I go looking around, and there's Joe in the middle of a family, which, by the way, was, was of a different ethnicity of Joe. And there he is in the middle of this family. He's got them all circled up, arms locked, and he's praying over this family because why? He's just shared the gospel with him. You see, that's what, that's what people fill with the Holy Spirit are about. They're about the gospel. If you don't share the gospel, if you don't share this good news, then friend, I got to ask this question. Does the Holy Spirit take occupancy in you? You see, you got to go where the Spirit flows. So what you notice is last takeaway, go with the Spirit's flow, live different. Live different. I understand you cannot live out what the Bible says has called you to live out in your own strength, your own willpower. The Holy Spirit's power is so much stronger than your willpower. Verse 12, it says this, and they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? And then in verse 13, but others mocking said they are filled with new wine. What does it look like to follow the Holy Spirit practically in every day? Well, I guess it makes you look drunk. You're like, what? Yeah, because it says this. It looks like they're filled with new wine. You see, think about it. Um, when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you're going to do things you don't normally do. There's this, this outrageous, contagious joy. Um, in the book of Ephesians, chapter 5, verses 17 and following, it says this. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. So if you want to know what God's will is, I can just tell you this. It's going to be, be full of the Spirit. Because it says this, verse 18, Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, 
but be filled with the Spirit. So if you've ever been around people who drink too much alcohol, don't you understand it leads to debauchery. Like you do the worst things you've ever thought of under the influence of alcohol. Like nobody has ever said, hey, after they get hammered drunk, hey, you know what? I'm going to set up a scholarship fund for disadvantaged teenagers. No one ever does that. It's usually I was doing some drinking. And I mean, the worst things you've ever done come right out of your mouth. Why? Because alcohol makes you stupid. You do know that. You know why? It's a depressant. And as a depressant, here's what it does. It takes away your ability to understand reality. It suppresses that. It depresses that. And then you just kind of go and act out of a, because you've lost control. But check this out. It says this, but be filled with the Spirit. Now, here's what's fascinating. Whenever you're full of the Spirit, it has a similar effect. You, you really do lose touch with some of the, the dark parts of reality. Why? Because your mind is so filled and elated with the fact that what? This manifest, this power lives in you, this transcendent power, and this incredible personal preference where you are loved and accepted and you're encouraged and, man, you, you matter. And, and, then, and then you have this message this message that is so dangerous that literally people have been put to death for it, and it's a message what that can change the world, but then check this out. You live different. You live on a different level. You're not worried about people who don't like you. You're not worried about your enemies because why? You're so loved by God that it makes you so giddy with joy that people go, what's wrong with you, even in the worst of circumstances? So he says, don't be drunk with wine, for that leads to debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. And there's four characteristics. And I would just say this. This is where, in the message, you should ask yourself, do I demonstrate these four characteristics? It's kind of like when you take your car to the shop and they, and they check your oil. You have that dipstick, and they pull that out, and they want to see how much oil you've got, if you've burned oil. This is kind of like putting a dipstick into the, into the heart of, of yourself to go, are these things there? Am I full of the Spirit? Because here's one of the first characteristics. It says this, be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Let me tell you this. When you're full of the Spirit, your words are different. Your words are different. Can't use salty language and be full of the Spirit. You, know, you can't laugh at that particular joke because here's why. I mean, you're so inebriated by the influence of the flow, I can tell you this, God's not going to send polluted things out of your mouth. He's going to send praiseworthy things out of your mouth. He's going to send good things out of your mouth. So you got to ask yourself a question, what, does, what do I sound like? Here's the second thing, there's worship. There's worship. So we address one another in songs and hymns and spiritual songs. Look at this, singing and making a melody to the Lord with your heart. And so, you know, you're just kind of going through the day and I mean, you just can't help but there's just a song that just kind of rares up in you. Why? Because of the flow. You see, the Holy Spirit, it, 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 you go with the flow, and the Holy Spirit is always going to bring glory and honor back to Jesus. And I'm telling you, so will you. And notice this in verse 20, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so regardless of your circumstances, you are thankful I mean, you just raise your eyes to heaven. You're just like, God, thank you. You look at life so much more with what you have as opposed to what you don't have. 
And then this final thing, and this is huge, and I think it's great on a Father's Day weekend. It says this in verse 21, and submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Think about that. The submission. You know, if you keep following the, this, this passage of Scripture in Ephesians 5 and down into Ephesians 6, there's submission between husbands and wives and children and parents and then actually slaves and masters. I would translate to today bosses and employees, however you want to, however you want to and translate that. No one submits because they want to. It's only the Holy Spirit that we believe that then God's plan and His, His best interests are so much greater for me that then as a spouse, as a wife, I'm willing to go underneath the headship of my husband or as children, I'm going to really listen to my parents. You see, ask yourself this question. How are your words? How's your worship? Are you thankful? Are you able to submit? You may be listening to this and, and here's the reality. You've never had your Pentecost moment. There's never been that moment whenever you've experienced this transcendent power of God. Like you're still trying to do all this in your own strength. You can't do it. Or maybe you recognize that maybe you know a lot about God. You got a lot of head knowledge. But the truth is you don't have the assurance of the personal preference, the presence of God. And so sometimes you really doubt your salvation. And maybe you should doubt it because here's the reality. You're not saved. Or, or, or maybe, maybe, um, here's the thing you realize about you. You really have never shared your faith with somebody. Friend, either, either get some courage or understand what the gospel is. Because how can you not share the greatest news there ever was? Or fourthly, you know, maybe you just realize that you're full of pride and rebellion. It's because you've never submitted your, your life to Christ. Listen, you as a spouse... You'll never love your wife as Christ or the church. You'll, you wives will never be able to submit to your husband as Christ as the head. Children, you'll never obey your parents until, listen, you put your life under the submission of the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to give you an opportunity to do that if you've never done it. You can bow your head. You can pray a prayer with me. Nothing magical about this, but it would just sound like this. You can just pray with me. You say, Dear Jesus, I just ask that you'll forgive me of my sins. And in the best way I know how, I ask that you would just come into my life and be my Lord and be my Savior. Thank you for saving me. If you prayed that prayer with me for the very first time, here's what it means. It means now the Holy Spirit takes occupancy in you. Friend, we'd love to hear it. You know, if you're on one of our campus, we'd love for you to stop by our Connection Center, talk with somebody. Maybe you're somewhere watching this. If you would just connect with us online, we would love, absolutely love, to help you get connected to Christ wherever you are, or whatever context that may be. I want to speak a word of blessing over you as we depart. Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for your great love for us. Thank you that your spirit allows all of this to work. And I pray, Father, we wouldn't just know it in our heads, we'd experience it in our lives. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. God bless you. Till next time.